Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Happy New Year, everybody. It's the first week of the 2024 sports calendar, and even though football season may be over, and even though our bet of blue Gatorade at the Super Bowl dunking Andy Reid did not cash, we are still giving you a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you head to Bet Online Sportsbook with the link in the description to this episode and use our promo code BELIEVE. Use that 50% welcome bonus to bet on basketball. Maybe you're into the pro, maybe you're into the college, maybe you're into Caitlin Clark setting the all-time scoring record in the history of college basketball. However you choose to bet, 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. Bet Online, where the game starts. What is going on? Woo! What is going on? Uh, I'm so happy to, to hear from you. How you doing, Blake? I'm here. I'm back. I'm doing great. I have been extremely, extremely busy. This is what we call in the lock-in years, you know. You're <laughs> locked lock in. in. I'm locked in. I'm locked in. But I've been watching a lot of football still as well, and uh, been having a been having a great time with this uh, this year's draft, and uh, you know, just trying to enjoy my life for the most part. <laughs> yeah, I think me and you a bit both have locked in a bit here, but obviously, <laughs> this is. God, this is so crazy to think about. This is year five, I think, of us doing mock drafts together, which is, I'm just, it's it's incredible to think how far both of us have come along from the first 2020 <laughs> draft to now, man. It's It's been super fun that we've still continued to get together and do these things. No, it's, it's surreal, and I hope to do more. I mean, this is still, I think no matter what happens in my life, no matter what, I will always have a passion for this. Like, this is always something that I will get excited for every single year, no matter what. You know, this is one of those yeah. things for me. And and I, I enjoy NFL mock drafts. I, I went to the one in Vegas two years ago. I'm potentially going to this year's draft in Detroit. Uh, we've been making plans to go, so I'm very excited to be doing that. And uh, I mean, this is just this is my this is my my thing. This is my passion is the NFL draft, and I love to do it every single year. <laughs> Dude, I'm super stoked that you get a chance to go this year because I've I've said the same thing since the 2021 draft, which was the last time that I actually myself cared to actually like watch tape and actually like learn about prospects deeply and things like that. Um, you're you're the you're the go-to person. Like I trust your expertise when it comes to this stuff. I trust the expertises of people who do scouting. I I go by the consensus, and you are the person that I very much. You're you're the person I trust with the expertise when it comes to this draft stuff. And I will have to say, I I want to give a big credit. I, I feel like a lot of of my draft takes really i think i try to have a combination of a little bit of everything i've heard from from people that i trust uh people i read i've been a big for i've been a big uh the draft network subscriber uh for a long time so i love those guys down there kyle krabs um guys like that i was a huge fan of them uh for a long time just learning from them how to film study look at those players um, I have a couple of really close friends of mine who are currently playing college football who do a lot of scouting and work with different people. And I just love to pick their brains, kind of learn new stuff. I feel like over the years, I have slowly, I think, improved upon like my, my past draft takes. But I, I do have like a couple of um, I, I have a couple of uh, of takes, I think, that I like to circle around and celebrate about every every now and then like uh uh Tariq Woolen from a couple of years ago which I was a huge fan of things like that so that's the best part though to look back and see what you hit on what you missed and what you can improve on and that's that's why I like it so much and the thing that I've learned over the years is that as good as these prospects are the fit that they go to matters way more than a lot of this stuff because I with the, the fact that Justin with the fact that we've done this long enough to have a, a database of people whose careers we can follow from doing the analysis and secondarily like seeing Justin Fields knowing he should have gone to Atlanta 
his career has stalled out in Chicago, and now it seems pretty clear that he's going to end up in Atlanta and have a chance to do what should have been from the start. Like, it's just it's so silly to see this this process play out in real time now that we actually know what we're doing with the scouting stuff. I'm so glad you said that because I'm in like the exact same position as you like begging for Justin Fields to be going to Atlanta just because I want to see him have the combination of Kyle Pitts v. John Robinson guys like that to work with and I and I do think like the moment that pick was made it's 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 one of those things where I was happy for Chicago because I'm a big believer in Fields as a player and I think he's a capable passer at times even but at the same time it's you know, it's Chicago. So you just got to keep telling yourself that because this team is, uh, you know, they're still, they still, still have a little to fix. I do think Chicago now is in a position where they have a lot of assets, obviously, with the trade last year, trading for what is now the number one overall pick from the absolute disaster Carolina Panthers, which is huge for them because this now gives Chicago, I think, the, a chance to like right their wrongs in a way this year. Uh, well, you know, with two, two top 10 picks, and and I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, I mean, Justin Fields was a guy I was very high on. I remember a big conversation we had f- for the draft that I just for some reason am remembering so well right now. Was, yeah. yeah, Matt Jones as well. I was talking about that and, <laughs> and the fact that he could have a couple of decent years in New England, but no matter what, He's not a good quarterback. And wow, would you look at there? Would you look at that? Would you look at that? We've been around long enough to see all of it come to fruition. The 2020 draft is the one that, because it's the first one we did. And looking back now, it was like, we were talking about all those tackles with Andrew Thomas and Tristan Wirfs and Makai Becton. And and even just in these four years, it went from looking like we were going to be so right to so wrong. And now Thomas is the one who gets the long-term extension when he was the worst of the bunch the first year. It's just, it's so funny that there's now a database of these guys' careers that we can actually go back and watch. Because you're right, we spent so much time talking about Justin Fields versus Mac Jones. I think that was the debate that actually broke me on draft stuff. Like After that one, I'm like, I don't think I want to do this scouting thing anymore. I spent so much time with people trying to convince me in some multiverse that Mac Jones was better than Justin Fields. And that was kind of the end of it for me. And lo and behold, we were both kind of right. Like we knew Mac Jones wasn't good, but also knew the bears would ruin Justin Fields. That entire class just had a lot of, I mean, we haven't even talked about Zach Wilson in that class, which was even more of a mess. I think everyone falling for what I would consider calling it the, the combine trap or the pro day trap where everyone saw his deep arm and, and everyone jumped to conclusions thinking he was going to be this high potential quarterback that just hasn't really worked out. I'd love to see him get a chance somewhere else maybe, but you know, clearly New York isn't the place for him, but that entire class was just, I think it was fun. I mean, obviously, some of those players didn't work out the way we thought. But at the same time, I, I do think, like, especially with quarterbacks, um, it's it's so often where it's just trial and error. And if they don't work on their team, whether it's because the team is bad or because it's not a good scheme fit or because the head coach just doesn't, doesn't mess well with the quarterback, so many things can just go wrong for a quarterback. Um, and, you know, I, I do think, like, I, I, I do like to say, like, a lot of times, especially in the middle to late first rounds, it's pretty much a flyer on a guy that you can hope can become that guy in the future. But just because you're drafting him does not mean that's going to be the case because there are so many scenarios where, I mean, especially in past years, the Cleveland Browns, for example, where they swing on so many quarterbacks and just miss on all of them. I mean, it, there's just so many cases where scheme fit matters, like you said. Um, the talent around them matters so much. I mean, having a healthy, good offensive line matters so much. Um, having the right conditioning, strength and conditioning coach, just everything. There's so many different factors that play into it. And and just because a player doesn't work out doesn't mean they're necessarily bad, but it has to be a good blend. Fit matters so much more than actual skill. You just want to find a good blend of both that could fit on your team. And I think that's been more true than ever before now in the NFL because there's such a deep talent pool across the board like everyone has talented players now if you suck long enough you're gonna find talented players that come for your team but I mean Washington has absolutely squandered a lot of these guys like Chase Young was defensive rookie of the year clearly talented clearly skilled across the board and it just didn't matter because every team has incredibly skilled players now so yeah I'm with you on that point and I think it's why 
I I think there's more scouting being done than there is a need for. And that's where I think the consensus kind of comes into play. Like there's more people doing scouting than there is a need for actual like scouting. And so you kind of know who the most talented people are. It's such a it's such a precise science at this point that everyone comes to similar conclusions about prospects, even if they argue in the in the middle. I think there's very few people who are argue like there are obviously examples in the middle, but there's very people who aren't going to argue that. Malik neighbors is a wide receiver six in a draft class or something like that. Like very few it's, it's normally people arguing about little minutia. And I think that the bigger difference there is what happens when they actually end up on the team they go to. Cause the, the one that's the most recent example that pops out to me is Trent McDuffie. Trent McDuffie was a guy. Most people regarded as a late first round pick ends up in Kansas city with Spagnolo. And look, he's the best slot corner in the NFL when everyone across the board had a chance to pick him up. So I, and Kyle Hamilton, your guy, you said he was the best safety prospect in years and he happened to fall to the Ravens. And look, he's now, the, the number one coverage grade corner or the number one coverage grade safety in the NFL. So I think the good situations with the talented prospects, you see what can truly flourish when they end up in those eight to 10 really good organizations. And, and Hamilton had a lot of questions after his first year. I mean, there wasn't any scenario where people thought Hamilton was going to be a top five safety let or top 10 safety, let alone a top five safety. So I just think that was a case where he had to just adjust that Ravens offense. And once he bought into the system, I mean, it was evident on film that Hamilton was just going to be amazing. That's just, that was just how I saw it personally. I mean, that was my top prospect that Nat year's class. I was mm-hmm. just so high on Hamilton the entire time. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, he was really good. And and I will say, I think I, I like the Trip McDuffie example because it's a great example. And you can even look at guys like Legarius Sneed on that same team who are just perfect fits for that Spagnola offense and are just bought in. And, and I think that's really where uh, teams have, have gone now. I think another great example would be Devon A-Chain going to the Miami Dolphins. I think he benefited so much from going to an offense that has so many difference makers that can win deep that it just gives another explosive guy the chance to have – guys not pay attention to him and focus on other explosive guys, you know? And and when you're in a team with three guys who can run top speeds and break a 99-yard touchdown in an instant, it's hard to guess which one you're supposed to be worrying about. And that's why Devon A-Chain had one of the most unreal short-term – it was very short uh, in terms of how many games he played, but the, the, the season he had this year was just out of this world. And A-Chain was a guy that I had worries about being – because he was too small and despite his contact balance, I had worries that he wouldn't fit into many offenses that would, you know, run it down the middle. But Miami, you know, this is a team that can find any way to get a player open towards the outside of the field with open grass ahead of them. And that's exactly what HA needed. He got it. Now look at him. He's playing amazing. And, you know, Raheem Sturt is even another example. He can play more of the inside running back guy. He can compliment Devon A-Chain in a very good way to make them kind of stay on their toes. And they're all speed demons. So it's just it matters and i think one thing that i've come to realize especially when it comes to mock drafts is the fact that reaching a little bit is actually okay and i i started doing it with like Tariq woolen i started doing it with a couple of other guys and there's a couple on occasions of past mock drafts i just i see these mocks that have these certain prospects show up and i'm like really like you think that but then i realize there's always four or five of those guys that get drafted in the first round every single year, you know? So sometimes it's okay to be a little bit different. And I have to teach myself that because I always have a list and live by the list, but sometimes it's okay to go off of it. If it means you're getting a player that fits on that team really well. Yes. The, the one time that I would push back on it is just the, 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 the 10 to 15 players that are gigantic difference makers. They're usually 10 to 15. They call them blue chip or whatever, but the guys that you have graded over a 92 or something like that are usually the ones where it's like, no, fit doesn't matter as much. Just get them on your team and you can work with it. Like get get those 10 to 15 guys in every draft class like Kyle Hamilton going at 14 or Christian Gonzalez with the Patriots last year. It's like, no, if you can get those 10 to 15 uber talented players who everyone across the board knows is a top of the first round kind of guy, you can make those guys work. It's kind of the the difference between a second round prospect and a fourth round prospect might come down to fit. And we saw that with like Tariq Woolen. That's a great example of like some people had him in the fifth round. Some people had him in the first round. He ended up going to Seattle in the fifth round and became third in defensive rookie of the year because of what Seattle was doing on defense. So like, yeah, I, I, 
I totally get it. Outside of the top 15, I think there's there's not a ton of players that you can talk out of like reaching if you think that that's the the person that you think fits for your team. I think Baltimore in specific, I think is the team that does it so much better than everyone else mm-hmm. because it always feels like Baltimore is the last team to pick out of that good pool of players. You know what I mean? Like it's, you know, I know Rashad Bateman hasn't exactly worked out the way we all expected him to, but I was pretty high on Rashad Bateman. And when he got taken, I was like, I really don't know who else to take after this. Then we saw that happen with David Ojabo after he got picked, I believe in the second round, uh, or maybe it was a late first that they picked Ojabo with. Uh, anyways, they picked him. They had um, Lamar Jackson, obviously picked in pick 30. And after Patrick that, Queen was like another one like that. Patrick Queen makers. in the first round. Patrick Queen's a great example. And I'm trying to think of, I mean, Kyle Hamilton's another great example, obviously as well. There's just so many players that they picked that just felt like they were just a step above everyone else. And sometimes they just didn't need to overthink it, you know? And and I had a lot of friends of mine, especially that year that Hamilton was picked, tell me like, why didn't they pick a receiver? Why didn't they take a receiver? That wasn't a good class. Like they ended up with the best safety in the NFL. What do you want? Like yeah. now they have Zay Flowers, who's even, I would argue better than the wide receiver they would have taken in that year's class. So it can work out in the future. You don't you don't need to overthink picks. If you know a player can make an impact on your team, you're going to take them. And there are definitely a lot of impact guys I see this year. I, I would lean. I, I really don't know like the exact number, but there are I would at least say maybe 15 guys that I think no matter what can give an impact on a football team. And I want to give you props, not that on this podcast we need to sell up your reputation or anything, but you told us that Kyle Hamilton was that. You told us Kyle Hamilton is that level of an impact player. And the fact that he fell to 14 in Baltimore is just one of those cases where as soon as it happened, I was like, oh, he's going to be a stud. And I want to talk to you about some Bengals stuff another time, but like the, the Raven rebuild over the last two years where they replaced the team that was as good as it was in 2019. I'll still say like the best regular season football team I've ever seen to replace essentially four pro bowlers on defense. If you include Roquan Smith, who they gave up a second round pick for to essentially get four pro bowlers on defense to replace two coordinators and change out your entire wide receiver room and have a team that is equally as good as the team in 2019 this last year is absolutely like the gold standard for how you build around a franchise quarterback, just gold standard for how you turn it around. And I think the Bengals the the reason I have skepticism for Joe Burrow is that I don't see the Bengals making those types of moves. Obviously they have to replace an offensive coordinator now with Callahan leaving, but I don't see the Bengals hitting on those draft picks. I don't see them making the trades. I don't see them being able to replace the coordinators. And maybe that's where, even though Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson are comparable in skill at the quarterback position, I think that might be where the Bengals kind of fall behind in the division. I think a big a big thing for me is just giving the credit that Lamar Jackson deserves for mm-hmm. just absolutely i mean it's it's kind of insane to think that he had his MVP season and i think after the last couple of seasons i think everyone would have told you that was probably going to be his best career year and for him to come in this season and i i wouldn't say this season was better than that season that he won MVP before but it was very well close and i would argue he's i mean when you compare them both you know that his first year he won MVP obviously he was such a proficient runner and he did that so well this year he was just efficient when he needed to run he ran and it was great yardage when he needed to pass he made great passes because he had capable receivers such as zay flowers who was huge to the stretch of the season and a couple of you know very good players like isaiah likely who stepped up guys like that who played really well during the stretch of the of the run for for them and for them to have a great offensive line as well uh to really protect lamar i mean all that played a huge factor but Lamar is just, he's special. He's a special player. He's a, a undoubtedly top four, maybe top three quarterback in this league. Uh, and I think everyone, uh, you know, just kind of, I think he proved that to everyone this year because there was the concern, like, is this a guy that can be efficient 24-7? And, and though there are maybe some playoff concerns, I, I think I think it's undoubtedly just the case of Mahomes is just Mahomes. And it's just Mahomes. You know, we always yeah. say that. Like, you just can't doubt Mahomes. It's Mahomes. Always and, bet on red. Right. Always bet on red. That's, just, that's easy. Yeah. 
And I mean, that, that doesn't take away from how elite of a season Baltimore had. And I, I truly still think they were the best team in the NFL this year. I, it was hard for me to believe otherwise. I mean, it's just Mahomes. That's all I can say. It's just Mahomes. That's it. That's all I can it's say. Just I, I have no Mahomes. other words to say anymore. It's just Mahomes. It is. It, it totally. It's just this was the year because this was the worst Kansas City team of the six that Mahomes has had, and they still won the Super Bowl. Like that's that's the one where it's just like, okay, yeah, this is this is where they this is how you know that they're that special and that Mahomes is that much better than the rest of the pack because no matter what your issues are, having the probably the greatest quarterback to ever pick up a football, you know, in terms of raw performance and the greatest offensive head coach in the history of the NFL makes all of your issues so much easier. Uh, I'm with you on the Ravens part because I, I brought up the the fact and we'll get to the mock draft here in a second, but I brought up this fact that a year ago, the Ravens transition tagged Lamar Jackson and on the day they transition tagged him five NFL teams made it public that they had no interest in trading for Lamar Jackson. And now a year later of those five teams, Four of them fired their head coach and three of them fired their general manager. Meanwhile, Lamar Jackson should. has won another MVP. <laughs> yeah, as they should, as they absolutely should. Yeah, uh, yeah just an absolutely huge mistake. And honestly, I mean, I was hoping the entire time I was praying that Lamar Jackson would find any other NFL team that was not Baltimore. I would have become his biggest fan, if anything, <laughs> if he left Baltimore and went elsewhere. You know, and when he resigned, obviously, it's a little bum. I was a little bummed out because, I mean, we had the Bengals had just came off barely beating Tyler Huntley in the playoffs. You know, so I think we all kind of realized, um, you know, if, a, a full strength Lamar Jackson with a full strength Ravens team are going to be great and. You know, I, I, as the Bengals fan and someone that is still a big believer in, in Joe Burrow and this team, I, I do think I, I'm a Zach Taylor truther, honestly. I am completely committed to Zach Taylor as a head coach. I think he knows what he's doing. But I will say at the same time, um, this is also a front office that is just stuck in their ways, you know, and it's tough because we can't structure contracts the way we're supposed to often. And a lot of important free agents and guys that we want to get back end up going elsewhere. And we're kind of forced to rebuild to the draft, right? While Baltimore, they look to pay their guys that they want long-term or if they don't, they find very, very expensive and very promising replacements such as Roquan Smith, um, who they traded for. I mean, and, and another big thing that, I don't think a lot of people talk about with this year with Baltimore's team is just the fact that, I mean, their middle round picks hitting on guys like Justin Matabike, especially I think of mm -hmm. who was just so dominant this season, top 10 in sacks was so huge in giving them interior pressure that it really made the life of quarterbacks hard. You force them to roll outside. That gives a chance for Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen to start running downhill towards you. And we both know how athletic both those guys are. It's just that defense was just so just made everyone claustrophobic. They were everywhere at once, and it just made it so hard for players. Um, and and that's just a that's just the fact that it's a great GM, a great head coach, and a, a very well built franchise. I hope Bengals can get there. I think I know how to get the Bengals there. I think I don't know if it'll happen, <laughs> but we could see. I like to believe I can. Um, but you know. Who knows? Who knows? I hope Joe Burrow can stay healthy, though. That's all I'll say about Cincinnati. I can't really say much. I mean, it was just a uh, very hard year to handle and stomach uh, <laughs> watching Jake Browning. But uh, I will say I was I had some fun at the same time. I I, I now have a newfound respect for uh, Jake Browning. So, <laughs> yeah, you guys are literally the Ravens from two years ago. That's that's literally where they're at right now. You guys mm -hmm. are the Ravens from two years ago. <laughs> you, you you had a quarterback injury that kept you from making the playoffs and you have to make some decisions to evolve or be you know, get passed by by some of these teams. And the Ravens made those correct decisions. They got two incredible coordinator hires, four pro bowlers on defense. And even though the wide receiver room, I don't think is dramatically better. They did just change every name in the receiver room. And sometimes that's all the, when you have one of the worst units in the NFL, sometimes all you have to do is just change all the names in the receiver room. And that can make it a little bit better. I also love the unlikeliest of fandoms for you, Blake Jude, not only Cincinnati Bengal fan, but university of Kentucky wildcat <laughs> fan <Right>? who loves <laughs> <laughs> Baltimore Raven and Louisville quarterback Lamar Jackson. It's, oh, it's, it's an I unlikely know. odd couple fan fandom right there. 
but you know what? That's kind of that's kind of why I want to like him, if that makes sense. You mm-hmm. know, like I, everything about him has been built to go against me, and I watch him and he's fun. So I'm like, man, maybe I should just change my mind. But I can't until he leaves Baltimore, at least because I I just can't. Right? I mean, he's <laughs> if he's beating my favorite team, I just can't. So yeah, I'll everything you're describing right there with Lamar Jackson is how I, as someone who's a big Patrick Mahomes guy, and at this point, I guess I can just say Kansas City guy because you know I've been on the Patrick Mahomes train for so long, it's just become part of my sports identity. Uh, I'm the same way with Josh Allen. Like everything is telling me I'm supposed to. This is supposed to be Brady Manning. This is supposed to be the rivalry of a generation. But I just want to like Josh Allen, man. And I keep trying. And every time it just something keeps me from wanting to really, really love Josh Allen. And I don't know what it is. (laughs) I I think for me, I mean, I've I've always just loved the idea of dual threat quarterbacks and guys who can run. And I kind of got up saying this because there is a couple of dual threat guys in this year's class that we can talk about a little bit. Um, But I just love that, that, type of quarterback that's why i loved justin fields and you know i mean lamar was really i mean obviously in the past you had guys like michael vick you had guys like i would even say steve young who were pretty mobile in their own way um and 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 players like that but i just love the hard to tackle run down field just i I like a lynn bowden you know what i'm talking about like kentucky lynn bowden (laughs) year i just love those kind of those kind of offenses those kind of playbooks and so to see Lamar or to see Josh Allen or guys like that run it, I like it because it's funny. It's it's funny because I think watching football, you kind of like develop games that you just like to watch more than others, if that makes sense. Like there are there are teams for me that I'd find 10 times more entertaining to watch. Like I'm, if I had to sit through Iowa offense film, <laughs> I'm going to fall asleep. I can't do it. Like it's impossible. But if we're watching USC, who has just everything going on at once, like, yeah, I'm sitting. I want to watch this. This is fun. <laughs> so it's just different. You are for, spot uh, on about the offense. boring Iowa offense, but also I just operate under the assumption, you know what? Draft their tight ends. Their tight ends are probably good. That's my kind of assumption with Iowa. If I see <laughs> Iowa tight end in the sixth round, I'm like, just take a flyer on an Iowa tight end. And every defensive player they have is going to be good, too. (laughs) Yeah, usually usually every defense. Iowa and Purdue. If you see a defensive player from Iowa or Purdue, just assume that guy has gone through the the gauntlet to become a star defensive player. Uh, Let's start. Let's start off the mock draft here. I'm going to I'm going to defer to you on whether you want the odds or evens for this one, because I I have not talked to you before this. I don't know which players you're super excited to talk about the teams the picks so if you have to pick we're going to alternate between odds and evens as we have done for damn near a half decade now um do you want the odds or the evens to start us off oh this is tough oh um hmm. so really what it comes down to is because there, there are a few picks that i really want to make and then there are a few picks I really don't want to make for both <laughs> because it's so hard. Um, I'll probably just do, I'll stick to evens. We'll do evens this time. We, we'll try to do maybe another odds one before the draft starts, hopefully. That way we could switch, maybe. Most definitely. I'll be down to do that. Yeah, we will definitely flip it up before the draft. Um, we'll do at least one more of these, most definitely. Uh, so I'll take the odds. I have the number one pick with the Chicago Bears, which is whew, loaded again. Um, there are there any offers on the table coming in is any any team i know you have a couple of the evens which means you have the people who might be most interested moving up to number one is there anything on the table it's just tough for me with chicago because i feel like they're asking for so much for this pick right now like actively from what i've heard like if I'm a team realistically trading up for it, I don't know if I'm willing to spend that pick. Um, if there was a team to do it, it would almost certainly for me either be the New York Giants or the Atlanta Falcons who would make mm-hmm. that sort of aggressive move. But I also, in the same breath, kind of think the Falcons are going to be the team that kind of goes after Justin Fields. So uh, I, 
I don't know. It's tough. I mean, if I was a New York Giants, I'd probably throw an offer just because I would want Caleb Williams. But I don't know if I could throw enough at you <laughs> to make it worth it. Yeah. It's, it's just this, that's just such a valuable pick. And I just think Caleb Williams is such a valuable special player. It's hard to. Yeah, I know it's lion season, but they're, they're saying the worst kept secret at the combine is the Giants want to go up and get a quarterback. So yeah. I don't know what that means or if they're going to go for it. But I'm going to I'm going to go Caleb Williams. Number one, I'm going to say that Fields goes to Atlanta and Caleb Williams ends up as the number one pick, although it's a tough spot for the the Falcons to be in, because I think the reason we haven't seen the trade so far is that I think the Falcons are the only bidders for Justin Fields, which is kind of crazy to say out loud that they're the only team that's really interested. And so maybe they think they can drive down the price a little bit if there's no other bidder for the trade, kind of like how the the Jets waited it out before getting Aaron Rodgers. I just I I think Atlanta's the only team that's interested in Justin Fields. And so I think that they're just kind of waiting out the trade a little bit. But I was surprised that it hasn't been done already, given that free agency is like a week and a half away or something. I would have thought that would have been an easy, you know, trade the second round pick or whatever. But uh, let's go Caleb Williams to Chicago at number one. I think it makes sense. I would definitely think it'd be really interesting because, I mean, surely it's going to have to well, some moves going to have to be made either during the draft or right before the draft. So I'm really excited to see like what happens there. That's probably the most exciting part of this offseason right now is just to see where Fields goes because I do think to a certain extent, you know, where Fields goes is going to be very dependent on how this free agency r- runs. And, you, you know, I think a lot of teams weren't, want Kirk Cousins at quarterback. Uh, possibly I've heard rumors that maybe Atlanta wants some. I've heard that, uh, you know, obviously Minnesota is interested in bringing him back. I'm sure there's a team like Vegas who would be uh, happy to try to get him or maybe even the New York Giants for all we know. Um, so I, I do think there's a couple of dominoes that might need to fall first. I wonder maybe if they wait to trade Fields in like – like after they take Caleb Williams, just because they might want to see all the offers they could possibly get for round one up until the last minute. Um, but at the same time, at that point, I feel like anytime you draft a quarterback without trading the other one, then that just automatically lowers the other player's value so much. So you would rather that happen beforehand. So if I had to guess, I think, I think Joseph Fields probably gets traded beforehand, probably in free agency after a couple of the big dominoes fall. And uh, I do think Caleb Williams is probably the right pick. I've and, and I'll go ahead and go on to my next pick, I guess, with the commanders here. I've gone back and forth because I for a while I really, really, really wanted to like Drake May a lot. And I really wanted to say that he was closer to Caleb Williams than I thought. But I will say his inaccuracy scares me a little bit. Um, Washington's an interesting predicament here because I kind of think they're also in a, in a similar way with Chicago where I, I didn't hate the way Sam Howell played last year. I mean, he's not good per se, but I definitely thought he showed flashes and there were moments where I was impressed. And this is a guy that threw for a lot of passing yards this year. I think he had a lot of success, um, their offensive line wasn't great, and I think that was a big problem behind a lot of their struggles. And they also really don't have a tight end now that they lost uh, Logan Thomas, who had a pretty poor season. And I do think that, given all they had, they actually had a pretty like okay season offensively. So I, I struggle to want to take a quarterback here. Uh, if I'm Washington, this would be another pick I would consider moving down from. But I will say at the same time, Drake May is going to be my pick here because – I do think that they need to have a big playmaker that can take over this team and be the guy. When is the last time we have had a big, I guess really since RG3, there really hasn't been a big name drafted quarterback that we kind of slotted in to be the guy to fix this Washington Manners team. They need someone to do that. And if I'm a team like Washington, I'm throwing darts and I'm not going to rely on a guy like Sam Howell right now because at the end of the day, he just didn't have the raw talent like a guy like Drake May has. He's very capable. I think he's a good quarterback that can manage a team. And I even think I think Sam Howell is a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL. I truly do. Like we're talking like bridge quarterback area, I think, of his talent level. But Drake May has the potential to be a difference maker. And for me, Washington with Terry McLaurin, with Jahan Dotson, two guys who can win deep, 
Drake May is a very strong arm. I hope he can fix his accuracy issues because that just worries me so much. But he's a good quarterback. Uh, and so I'm going to take him here number two with Washington. The Sam Howell thing is basically, I just say he's Saints Jameis Winston at this point. Like he's he is a true tried and true backup quarterback, but also him and Drake May are homies. They were they were on the same college team together for a season. They're totally cool with each other. So I could totally understand Sam Howell sticking around and just being the backup to Drake May for a season or whatever. That'll be totally fine. And then the Chicago Washington thing is interesting because you, I presume you have it. Caleb number one far and away at this point would be your prognostication is that Caleb is the number one quarterback, maybe even number one prospect in the draft class. And then you kind of have a little bit of a drop off to May and uh, Jaden Daniels. So. Quarterback wise, yes, Um, now I do. Uh, I when I first watched Drake May. I really paid attention to his previous year's film. And I think a big problem with May that I kind of didn't account for when I first scouted him was the accuracy issues he had uh, because I saw him have pretty solid accuracy. The first season he started for North Carolina in a year where he played really, really well. Um, You know, he he threw for, I believe, 67% completion rate that year. This upcoming year, this year that he just played, it was only 63%. And I do think a lot of throws that he did have, he notably missed pretty, pretty well. And I think the difference here is just Caleb is just far more consistent at hitting those throws that Drake May was missing. And for me, I think if you're going to be a successful quarterback, I think you just have to have that. And for the simple fact that May just doesn't have it yet, that gives me the thought that there is maybe a chance that he could bust, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. I just don't see any way Caleb could bust. Caleb's just too talented. I think he's got too much skill. Um, he's extremely athletic. He's got a very safe, accurate, strong arm. I think he's had some times where he makes some bad decisions, and that makes you want to not make him your number one overall quarterback. But at the same time, in structure, he makes the right plays. And at the end of the day, I just can't I can't shy away from that. So for me, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to finally admit it. Uh, Caleb Williams is the clear number one quarterback in this class. Now, I will say I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is a very, very special player. Uh, I love Marvin Harrison Jr. I have him graded higher than Caleb Williams overall, uh, but Caleb is number two, so <laughs> not very far off. And so this brings us to pick number three with the Patriots because – that is a tough, tough situation between Jaden Daniels and Marvin Harrison Jr. That is that is a really tough one because of how important the quarterback position is and because of how special that receiver is right now. Um, I know the Patriots hired Alex Van Pelt. They want to at least give a run at Baker Mayfield, although I would be surprised if Baker Mayfield ends up leaving Tampa Bay, given the success he had and Tampa seemingly willing to give him a three-year contract extension at $100 million plus. But it's tough between Jaden Daniels and, and Marvin Harrison Jr. here. I'm For this one... Both both picks make it interesting at number four, because I think Arizona, if that quarter, if Jaden Daniels falls to number four, I think Arizona is definitely trading out of that spot for a team who wants to go up and get Daniels. Um, But they might be in on the Marvin Harrison game, too. So I'm going to pick. For today, I'm going to pick Jaden Daniels here. I'm going to pick Jaden okay. Daniels at number three, and then I'll turn it over to you and see what you think. Early on, I think as of like right now today, I think that's probably what I expect to happen. I could see, I mean, it's a new regime in, in New England, so this is all a new territory. I don't know if Bill Belichick was a quarterback. I'm not sure if they would draft Jaden Daniels. I, I could be wrong. I don't know. I mean, because... Bill Belichick's such a defensive-minded player. I mean, he never really controlled the offenses. But I'm just thinking, like, basing it off of his past offensive coordinator hires, I I don't really know if he would be the fit there. But I do think maybe under Jared Mayo and this new regime Patriots team, they need a new identity. 
And Jaden Daniels is somebody who I think created a new identity of his own in LSU. And I, what I love about Jaden Daniels is the fact that when I first watched him, this was a guy that I just said, there's so many just issues in his passing. There's just, it, it just felt like his entire um, structure, the way he threw his footwork, it just felt off to me. And it felt like all, um, a lot of his success was basing it off of running. I do think he, he does have, he did have good accuracy. He does have a very strong arm, but it just felt like, again, he's a step below in my eyes originally he was a step below may and caleb williams as an in structure passer until this year because this year it was completely different he completely changed everything with brian thomas and malik neighbors i would argue lsu probably had the best passing but no doubt they had the best passing attack in the nfl in college football this year based off of how successful they were he won the heisman he was the best player in college football last year um, and just had an unreal season. He brought it all together. He improved on his mistakes in passing. He made the right decision. Napers and Thomas gave him a lot of help separating and getting chances to get open. And whenever they did, he would hit those deep routes. And I think Jaden Daniels is now a guy I would love to see run some sort of um, you know vertical offense that could really take advantage of having the receivers win deep. So that way you force safeties and linebackers to play deeper in the field. And that gives Jaden Daniels lanes to be able to run. So I think this is a very good opportunity for New England to develop a new identity on their offense. They desperately need it. They need to add some receivers to help because this receiver core is nowhere close to that right now. The only guy I think fits that relatively fits this sort of offense would maybe Tyquan Thornton, who's probably, I would say, their youngest receiver. I think maybe, I don't know. Tayshawn Boutte might be a little bit younger, but still, I but think that they need to completely Google, revamp. I would go Google Kayshawn Boutte right now. Go, I'm just saying he might not be around next year for the Patriots. Yeah, I, I oh, that's yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, he that whole some, you uh, know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in gambling losses. Gambling. Yeah, that's uh, I forgot about that, but. Yeah, so I mean, really, I mean, this is a New England team that I think is going to completely rebuild their wide receiver core from the ground up. And I think if you can get a couple of nice, fast guys that could threaten, win deep, and give Jaden Daniels those weapons, I think this could be a fun offense. And I'm, I'm excited to see the direction the Patriots head. I love the hire of Mayo. I think it's a great hire for New England and a good replacement, a good. Um, I think he's a good follow-up to Bill Belichick, and, and I'm excited to see where they go with this. I, I do think New England could be doing good things here if they can draft Jaden Daniels in round three. Is there a receiver in free agency that you see fitting with Jaden Daniels, potentially? Because I know Brandon Ayuk is available, and they were college teammates at Arizona State. I know Antonio Pierce was on that staff, and so there were talks like, oh, the Raiders could sign Brandon Ayuk and trade up for Jaden Daniels or whatever, because of all that Arizona state connection. Is there, is there a player that you look at and say, if the plan is to draft quarterback, this is who they should add at receiver uh, draft or free agency. I think the the biggest one I would probably like pinpoint as a guy that I would love to see on that offense is Hollywood Brown. I think some, someone like that that could really just threaten uh, threaten deep, win deep. I think it's important to have guys with safe hands, and I think hopefully, um, you know, hopefully Hunter Henry can be healthy and, um, you know, be a solid player on that. I don't know if he's a free agent this year. He might be, but, um, you know, I would love for them to maybe add a tight end. But, to but they do, they have... still have Gasecki. He's still there. Gasecki. That's right. Um, so, and I think they would need a nice slot guy to add to maybe a guy like Tyler Boyd, even who's not going to be a Bengal next year. Um, I think that's a very interesting name. Um, I'm a big fan of what um, guys like Curtis Samuel has done over the last few years with his speed. Um, you know, it, it, this is a relatively strong receiver class overall. Um, I would probably hope if I'm New England, I could sign one or two of these guys. I would love for them to get Kendrick Bourne back, even though I believe they released them, didn't they? So. Uh-huh they lost him um and it, it is an older class a lot of these guys are up there in age we have uh you know odell at 31 mike evans at 30 jamal agnew at 29 braxton barrios at 28 
Randall Cobb at 33. Um, <laughs> you know, Calvin Ridley, I think, is another guy that could perfectly fit on that offense if he'd be willing to sign with New England. It's just really being able to pay those guys that money to make them want to be there. Uh, and, and that's going to be what the issue is. But I also think that New England can definitely attack the draft this year. This is a very strong draft on the wide receiver core. And if you could add, I would look to maybe add three guys total um, from this list. I, I think Calvin Ridley and Hollywood Brown are my two guys I would absolutely target first uh, on this team, just because I think those are guys that can definitely win deep and are very, very agile as well um, on the outside. Uh, it can be very dangerous in screen games, which I think could be good for that offense too but um, that I, I just think there's a lot you could do with Jaden and I think that speed that you could add to the, that element of the offense in New England can make a huge difference and that's something that they've missed for so long because the last couple of years their receivers have separated less than any other receivers in the NFL total like I believe this year Devontae Parker uh, Juju Smith-Schuster and want to say one other receiver on that team were bottom 10 in all the NFL and separation rate at receiver. So there's three starting receivers for all bottom 10 that <laughs> needs to change. They need to get better there. Well, speaking of Hollywood Brown, a team that might be okay to let Hollywood Brown walk in free agency, the Arizona Cardinals sitting at number four. I have a feeling I know where they're going to go here, but maybe the, uh, maybe the trades are calling as well. Yeah, you can't trade down from this pick when Marvin Harrison's sitting here. I mean, he's the, I think he's the best wide receiver prospect I've ever scouted. So it's hard for me not to just take him here. So I'm going to take him. Uh, this is my pick. I, I'm really excited to see what Marvin Harrison can do. I, I just want to see it. I know he has so many... Uh, you know, I've, I've seen people give player cops to his father, but there's so many player cops I've seen that all fit match him because he can fit in a lot of different offenses. Um, he is a very versatile receiver. I, I think he can play the X, he can play the Y, he can play the Z, which is very, very rare. Or sorry, not the Z, the slot, um, which is very rare in um, sorry X C slot, uh, which is very rare in in any kind of receivers in general, because he has the ability to play and run all those different types of routes. Um, and we saw that in Ohio state, he played in, in a bunch of different ways. I think that we, he's taken over so many games. He has the best hands in the class. I think pretty undoubtedly um, in, in terms of consistency, I think he is one of the best route runners in this class. He's extremely fast, um, very, very good size. I mean, there's just nothing you can't hate about this guy. He is he, this is, I think the best player comp for me that I can give is like, he's the Julio Jones of this year's class. Like he's, he's on that level of receiver talent where you just cannot miss him. You have to take him. And if I'm Arizona here, I think it's a no brainer. I think Marvin Harrison will be the best receiver they've had since Larry Fitzgerald. And he has the potential to be as good as Larry Fitzgerald in the future. That's how good he is. Best receiver prospect you've ever scouted. Cause yes. Well, the title before was Jamar Chase, right? That was probably the the number one you've ever scouted before this year. I want to say I, I need to go back and actually look to be certain on that because I might have been a little bit higher on a, on another guy, but I'm pretty sure from the like the, the drafts I remember at least for the yeah. least last three years, he's definitely the highest out of the last three years, and Jamar would be the second highest. Uh, for, phrase it sure. another way: This is the I believe the seventh year you've done like in depth tape watching scouting seventh or eighth this is the first time a wide receiver has ever been the number one overall prospect correct that is correct yes yes and i think that i mean i'm if if he he falls no further than four in this draft i think is probably the the easiest way to phrase that because he might not fall to arizona and if one of those quarter i it feels like these four players in some order are going to be the first four picks it's just the order is very much in flux right now. And even if he gets picked earlier, the teams that are making the picks are potentially in flux as well. Marvin Harrison is so good. He is the only reason why we aren't certain the first three picks are all quarterback. Mm -hmm. That is how good he is. He's the only reason why we are not certain the first three are quarterbacks. Because the top three teams all need quarterback. We always know how often teams want to trade into the top three to take quarterbacks. I think we have three quarterbacks who are all, I will say as a as a whole, I don't think this quarter quarterback class is as good as people make it out to be. But I think when you are a team that needs a quarterback and you saw the season these three quarterbacks had, 
it's hard not to have these three guys at the top of your boards as, at quarterback. And for, for there to really be no other guy other than Marvin Harrison Jr. to be even a contender uh, to be taken, I think, above it, just goes to show how ahead of everyone else Marvin Harrison Jr. is in terms of his talent. Because the impact quarterbacks leave are so major, they pretty much have to be picked in the first couple of picks. But this wide receiver has put himself in that conversation while being a much less valuable player in terms of his position. So he's just that good. I think I think the Cardinals will win a lot more games because he is with them. Uh, and if, if Arizona can land him on draft night, they will be so happy and deservedly so because that duo of Kyler Murray and Marvin Harrison Jr. I think is going to shock a lot of people. So for the Chargers at number five, um, I know they have a need at right tackle. That's the one everyone's been mocking them to. I'm just curious, who is the best defensive player that you have scouted in this draft? Because I know the Chargers had like the worst passing defense in the NFL. None of the corners are really regarded as top 10 picks so far. Who Who is your highest graded defensive player on the board? So I will say uh, this will change because I... I've the combine is just happening as we're mm-hmm. recording this. This yeah. is the wide receiver and quarterback day. So we, you know, we I haven't really taken all the grades yet and applied it to everything. So that could definitely change some things. Um, I know like Nate Wiggins, for example, was a guy I was very high on who had very big weight concerns this week, despite running very well. Um, I think his measurements were a big concern, and I think that made it to where he might not be the best guy in this class um in terms of uh defensive players um right now i think my favorite defensive player in this class is probably going to be um to be honest with you cooper DeGene. i just love cooper DeGene as a whole from <laughs> iowa i think he's just so good he could play anywhere and i think he's very elite um safety outside corner inside corner i think he makes an impact in all of those areas and i think he is the only guy in my mind i think that is Versatile enough to where he could fit on any secondary in the NFL. And I think that aspect of it is so huge for every single team because when you, your secondary is especially a position that gets injured a lot. There's a lot of, I think, rotation. There's a lot of movement in that kind of position group. And I think there's not a lot of consistency from any kind of guy in that position group. We think we see James Bradbury have pro bowl seasons and then have the worst season ever the year after, you know, that's just how corners are. They're not consistent. They're, they're often, you know, there's a lot of moving parts that happen in the secondary. Cooper DeGene's a guy. I think you can just slot in anywhere that you need. And that's what's so valuable about him. I think he's very good. I will also say, grade-wise right now, I do have Dallas Turner and Leatu Latu graded higher uh, at the edge rusher position. So I guess Dallas Turner and Latu would be my guys, would, would technically be my top two. But after this combine, it might be Cooper DeGene. And if I was picking a defensive player, I love just I just love Cooper DeGene. He's just I have to rave about him. He's so much fun. Oh, he's a great player. It's a mock draft. It's fine. Let's take the white cornerback. White cornerback, top five pick. Chargers are going to take Cooper DeGene because they desperately need corners. I'm looking at their cornerback room right now. Oh boy, it's I mean Asante Samuel Jr. is fine. Uh, their next receiver might be a guy named Dean Leonard. <laughs> They they desperately need some corners. So, you know, uh, if Cooper DeGene is your best corner and the prospect you like the most, let's take him because the I the Chargers do need a right tackle also. But there there are some good right tackles in this year's free agent class. Like you can go out and sign a right tackle like Jonah Williams from the Bengals for fifteen million dollars and be fine. Like I I think the the blue chip defensive players with the chargers need more than anything else. And maybe they trade down to get it. Cause I know Cooper DeGene had some injury issues, but like chargers should take best defensive player on the board. Basically. Uh, you know what? This is a fun pick. This is a really fun pick because I think Cooper DeGene, a very underrated part about this pick. I think he compliments Derwin James so well. I think he, I, I and, and you know, we know my history with Derwin and how much I've loved Derwin for yep. a long time, uh, and his abilities. 
Um, but you know, obviously the injuries have been a bit of, con- of a concern. I do think there is maybe a question on his future with the chargers in terms of how long he's going to be there. I do know, I believe he's currently still on a contract with him for an, at least a couple more years. Mm-hmm. Um, but the injuries are a bit of a concern. Uh, I, I still think though, Cooper DeGene is a guy where, I mean, if you need to put him in the slot to lock down a slot receiver, let him do it. He could do it. You want to play outside? He's got outside size, outside speed. Everything about him says that he is capable of being a good outside corner. So if you want to stick him on the outside to deal with the receiver, do it because he's pretty he's pretty consistent and pretty reliable at that. He did it in Iowa. Then he can also play free safety or strong safety because he's a safe tackler. He's a hard hitter. He's very good in zone coverage. I think he reads the quarterback's eyes really, really well. He's got good ball skills. I mean, pretty much everything I said just basically means that there really isn't many weaknesses to DeGene's game. He's very, very solid and smart. And and that's a big reason why I like him a lot. Um, And I, I think that if he is able to be a outside corner in the NFL, I think that he could be very, very fun in some sort of zone off a zone defense um, that allows him to really just use the full effects of the field and full range of the field where he can read the quarterback's eyes and jump in front of passes and get interceptions. Uh, I would love to see him do that in LA with a guy like Derwin James, who could be a fun downhill hard hitter to compliment him pretty well. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what Jesse Minter does with the defense because it is kind of a weird mismatch of players who, in a span of three years, went from being the worst rush defense in the NFL to the worst pass defense in the NFL. So it'll be interesting to see what the Chargers do there. I'm going to trust you, NFL draft expert, and take Cooper DeGene, white cornerback from Iowa, at pick number five. Giants at number six. You, sir, have the pick. What direction do you want to go? Oh, this is tough because I I will say JJ McCarthy's getting picked in this draft. It's just going to happen. It's a matter of when, not if. How high is that going to be? I don't know. And I've seen people say there's a chance he goes top three instead of Jaden Daniels, which I don't believe. But I do think there are going to be teams that like him more. And I I always wonder with the Giants because they do this. They drafted Daniel Jones at number four <laughs> overall. So we know what the Giants are capable of doing. So if they drafted McCarthy, it wouldn't shock me. I would laugh would so be- hard if they replaced former number six <laughs> overall pick they reached on with new number six overall pick they reached. I would laugh so hard. <laughs> After they gave Daniel Jones $160 million, I would laugh so hard. It would be such a Giants thing to do. I'm not going to overthink this. I'm going to take Malik Neighbors, who I think would be a wide receiver one in almost every other class aside from this class and Jamar Chase's class. That is it. Every other class, I'd probably have Neighbors as my wide receiver one. That's how good I think Neighbors is, too. I think he is the next best uh, non quarterback in this class behind Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, and and he, I mean, he impressed me so much this year. That LSU team, this was the most fun LSU offense I've watched since the Joe Burrow LSU offense a couple of years ago. Um, they were just a blast and Neighbors is so good. Uh, he can, he's a great returner, uh, which I think doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, another receiver, I think, could play a lot of different ways. He's, I think he's a good Z. He's very capable of being an X. He could play in the slot as well if you really wanted him to so he's another very versatile player i think he's got good speed he's got very very safe hands um you know we we watched him have a couple of of really crucial mistakes happen i i I go back to think about the muff punt he had against florida state a couple of of years back but overall i mean neighbors career has just been stellar and i just think he is such a good player and if he goes to a team like the new york giants i think you finally have an alpha receiver in that room which has not had an alpha receiver since odell so i mean that, that's it's been a long time and that needs to change so and neighbors would change that in my eyes you're saying kenny galladay wasn't an alpha receiver <laughs> I wish <laughs> you're saying Sterling <laughs> Shepard hasn't been an alpha receiver. Darius Slayton, um, the, the alpha receiver. Robinson. 
Yep, your boy Wandale. I still love the stat so much that Jamar Chase's rookie year, he had more yards of offense than the top four Giants receivers combined. It's it's so good. It's so good. And even the even the one year they won the the fluke playoff game against the Vikings, their leading receiver in that playoff game who had a hundred yards, a dude they signed off the Bills practice squad like three weeks before the game was the receiver they had ball it out. So yeah, Isaiah Hodgins. <laughs> yep. Isaiah Hodgins. Um, I want to, I want you to, to um, kind of follow up neighbors with another receiver prospect. Cause I want to put Brock Bowers at seven of the Titans. And I don't Ooh. know where you slot Brock Bowers in, in the mix with the receiver group, because he's kind of this weird, interesting hybrid. So in the same vein of like Harrison jr, neighbors and Brock Bowers, they're all kind of, the top three receivers in air quotes, but I'm going to have Bowers go seven. What do you think about that? I think there's another guy too, uh, that I would also add to it as a part of the, that list as a top four pass catcher, because I do think there's a gap after that last guy, but, uh, Bowers is undoubtedly, uh, I think one of the most exciting, fun, talented tight ends we have ever seen come in to the NFL. Uh, I mean, this is a guy that I think, you and I have both kind of, I'm sure we've recognized yes. and I've seen watching so much Georgia <laughs> over the last couple of years. I, I think any college football fan almost can't ignore Brock Bowers because he was their offense. I mean, they ran the ball pretty well, but almost every single time someone was catching ball, it was either Bowers or McConkey. It was one of those two. That's just how that how their offense operated. He's a great blocker. No one really talks about how good of a blocker Brock Bowers is. He was According to PFF, he was a top seven blocker, run blocker in college football this year at a tight end position, which no one talks about. He's a little undersized, so I think that's the big reason why people think that he's just going to be this slot receiver that plays for someone. No, he's more than that. He can block. He is a tight end. That that is, There's no doubt Brock Bowers is a tight end. Now, Arthur Smith would just love to get his hands on a guy like this. <laughs> I know he does. Yep. <laughs> but and, and he and he would hate he would hate to see the Titans get a guy like this after he just left. <laughs> but man, Brian Callahan would love this addition uh, to his team. I truly do think that that has been a big part of what the Bengals have been missing for so long. And I am sure that they knew Brock Bowers' name for a long time there. And I'm sure Brian Callahan kept that name in his back pocket with him. So this pick would not shock me whatsoever. I could definitely see it. Yeah, I forgot that you combine Callahan, former Bengal offensive coordinator, the first part of the Zach Taylor coaching tree, which I am baffled that we have a Zach Taylor coaching tree now. I'm just amazed that that's the case. The coach who I said looked like white privilege when he got hired by the Bengals has a coaching tree. And secondarily, Will Levis, your Kentucky boy being the quarterback. Oh, you're going to love the Titans. You're going to love the Titans so much next year. It's going to be it's going to be like your second favorite team. I feel like, you know, what's crazy. We have breaking news on the podcast. Shut up. Because we are fa we are famous for always getting the breaking news after the podcast has been recorded for years and years. We did an entire mock draft that published and within six hours of it publishing was the the Trey Lance trade three, six and 12 that happened. We are kings of after podcasts have been recorded. You're telling me the, <laughs> the first podcast we've recorded in damn near six months together. There's breaking news on the show. And it's major. It's a world record. A world record? The fastest 40 time at the combine has been broken. Oh, God. I didn't even think about that. Wow. Okay. John Ross is no longer the fastest 40 time runner. Sorry. That, this might have been a little anticlimactic, but I just saw this. Just, this just happened. So, John Xavier Ross. Xavier Worthy of Texas. Xavier Worthy from Texas broke the record? Ran a four two one official time just now. Get out of here, that dude! That dude is a monster. Four, two Jesus. one. That wow. dude is ridiculous. I'm just gonna say because he's also like big, which is just so ridiculous. That is wow. That was I, not the receiver I thought you were. John gonna say. Ross. John Ross's record is one of those records that I just never thought was gonna get broken. God damn. I, I'm watching it now. That that is 
I just had like 18 texts sent to me like during the podcast, which is why I wanted to say that because everyone God. was like, what just happened? That's so <laughs> stupid. God. Xavier Worthy wow. is such a freak. That is. I maybe we'll draft them. Because re- remember years ago, we were making fun of of Texas for losing at home to Kansas when Kansas hadn't won a Big Ten game in like 58 years. Uh, one of the things that I still remember about that game, Xavier Worthy had like, he was a freshman. He had like 19 targets for 15 catches and 200 yards in that game. I was like, well, I know that dude's good. Former five-star <laughs> prospect, 15 catches, 20 targets. Yeah, I know that dude's awesome. And God damn, I can't believe he's the one who broke the record. That's ridiculous. I I thought it'd be one of those like smaller slot guys. That's crazy that he broke the record. Yeah, he just I'm glad that happened now because I don't know if he was going to get drafted until now. (laughs) So that definitely probably changes something. I did not think he would run a 4-2-1. I actually had him slotted to run a 4-2-9 on my uh, prediction. Good Um, Lord. So, Wow. Man, that's huge for Worthy. Wow. 4-2-1. And he, he's had, it's not like he's raw. He's had great college production too. So that's, wow. That's huge. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.